Hey friends, I know how busy this time of the year is. And as much as I love home-cooked meals, sometimes there is just not enough time. But I have good news for you. Factor offers delicious, ready-to-eat meals, which can make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with your pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. There are two-minute meals, so you can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They have snacks and smoothies and more. There's a wide variety of options and 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that will help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So head over to factormeals.com forward slash swanson50 and use code swanson50 to get, you guessed it, 50% off. That's code Swanson50 over at factormeals.com forward slash Swanson50, and you're going to get 50% off. No prep, no mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Yay for that. I'll be linking over in show notes as well, but go check it out and tell me how you enjoy your Factor meals. Christian Parenting. Aloha friends, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast, powered by Christian Parenting. I am Monica Swanson, mom to four boys, podcast host and author of Boy Mom, What Your Son Needs Most From You. Here on the podcast, it's my goal to bring you practical advice and biblical wisdom for raising boys in this sometimes crazy world. You can always find show notes over at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. I'm so glad you're here. We want to communicate to kids that feelings are just feelings and we're going to have a range of them. And for some kids, for some boys, they have big emotions. Like Mm -hmm. they feel deeply. Yes. And that's a fantastic thing. You know, I tend to say to a lot of those boys who are like, what's wrong with me? I just get so mad or I get so sad. I'm like, buddy, there's nothing wrong with you. That's how God hardwired you. And I'll tell you what I call that. I call that husband material. Your wife is going to love that on you. (laughs) Yes, yes. Hey friends, welcome back to the Boy Mom Podcast. I've had such a great time hanging out with you here all summer long, but now I am looking at my calendar and oh my goodness, I am so excited about the guests and the topics that I get to bring to you this fall and winter. There is such a great lineup and I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for spreading the word about the podcast and for showing up every week. We've had such great numbers of downloads. It really does allow us to get more incredible people on. So thank you for that. And I just love to share topics that you are most interested in that help you and support you the most. So never hesitate to reach out and email me. You can email me at aloha at monicaswanson.com. Tell me what I can do to serve you better. So we opened this episode with a short clip from a familiar voice. David Thomas is back in the house today, and I'm that always makes me so happy. He is one of our favorites, and he's been on before. I'll link to any episode he's been on in the show notes. Um, but he was on at the beginning of summer, and I was so excited then to tell you that he is now a voice inside the character training course, where he and I have a conversation about uh, 
kids and anxiety. And so if you're not in the course yet, uh, keep an eye out for that to be opening this fall again. So you can check that out because that was such a great addition to the character training course. But today, what I'm doing this weekend, next week, I am sharing an episode that David was on, two episodes that he was on almost two years ago. And this topic is so good and so practical and just felt so relevant for the beginning of another new school year. So you might have heard it before. But I think this is the kind of thing we could listen to at least once a year because it's just that important. And your kids are at a new stage and a new season now. But we are drawing from David's book called Are My Kids on Track? 12 Emotional, Social, and Spiritual Milestones Your Child Needs to Reach. And what we did is we broke it down into two episodes. We talk in today's episode about the four emotional milestones. And then next week, we're going to talk about the four social milestones. Now, our intention was that David would come back to talk about the four spiritual milestones. We never got to that. So we need to get him back on to finish this conversation. But I think you're going to find so much encouragement and practical help in this week and next week's episodes. Definitely check out the show notes. I'm listing some notes from our conversation over there. You can also find uh, all of David's books and his own podcast. If you're not already following him, you're going to want to after this conversation, I think. But I don't want to waste any more time. I want to dive right into this conversation. You will hear us talking a little bit about the pandemic because we recorded this thick in the middle of all that. So it was kind of fun listening going, oh, wow, we have come a long ways. Um, but I still think all these topics are super relevant. And I will have a few final words to say at the end. But without further ado, here's David Thomas and I talking about those emotional milestones we want our boys to reach. I hope you enjoy. David, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be a part of this time. Well, I'm super excited to have you on. And um, I have read many of your books. We've already had Sissy Goff, who you work closely with and write with here on the podcast. And the more uh, I read what you write, the more I listen to your podcast, I'm just like, I just want to point everyone to you. So before we jump in, because I'm so excited about today's topic, could you just introduce yourself, your family and your work? I'd love to. But I want to first say those are incredibly kind words, and mm. I feel the exact same. Sissy, so mm. enjoyed conversations with you, and, mm. and I can't tell you, as somebody who works with boys and families and has written a lot around that content, just how much I believe in the relationship between boys mm. and moms and believe there is so much to that relationship. So I'm incredibly grateful for the work you're doing, too, and just, again, really honored mm. to be a part of today. Thank you. And, Absolutely. And and I am a therapist. I work with children, adolescents, and families, and have done this work at this amazing place called Daystar Counseling for almost 25 years now. And we serve just the pediatric population. And we do the work in a really different way in that we're in a house rather than an office complex. And mm -hmm. the most sought after therapists in our practice are actually dogs. We have five therapy dogs <laughs> on staff. I love it. And I, I'm convinced there are a lot of kids who really aren't sure what our names are, but they know all the dogs. So we're <laughs> all trying to get in line behind them. I but can imagine. Absolutely. I work with a great team of folks and, and just really grateful to get to do this meaningful, life-giving work with these amazing people. And that I've been able to do that for quite some time now. And in addition to 
the kids I have the privilege of working with. I have three of my own. I've been married to an amazing woman for the last 25 years, and we have a daughter. And then about a year into her life, we got pregnant for the second time, and we were incredibly grateful to be pregnant again. And we went midway through the pregnancy for our ultrasound, as you do, and said to the technician on the way in, okay, what you need to know about us is that we're really old school. We don't want to know what we're having. We didn't know my daughter was a girl till the day she was born. So make a note, but we'd like to be surprised. She agreed. (laughs) And I can still remember where I was standing in the room when she looked up with this huge smile and said, I see two heads. (laughs) And I remember thinking, why are you smiling if the baby has two heads? Like (laughs) nothing about that sounded right to me. We, we were genuinely that shocked. Like we have no history of multiples in our family. My wife had not gained extra weight. Her counts weren't different. None of the indicators that you get when you're carrying multiples were there for us. So here we are midway through this pregnancy, finding out that multiples you know, almost Mm -hmm. always come early. And so I'm like, well, clearly we're so behind at this point. Mm -hmm. You go ahead and tell us what we're having, but wait, I'm going to lay down on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) And she said two boys. And so we are still still recovering (laughs) from that news 18 years later. Oh, I cannot imagine raising twins. And so they're, they are 18 now. Is that right? They are seniors in high school. So we're, we're right on the edge of becoming empty nesters. We've launched one out in the world and Mm. I think you've done the same. Am I correct? Yes, yes, yes. I've launched two, but we kind of spread ours out. So I've got a couple more years to keep these little guys around. It's a holy season, isn't it? Oh, it is. I don't know how to feel about it. I might need therapy, but. (laughs) Well, we'll talk together. Yes, yes. Well, um, I love that story so much. And God bless you and your wife for raising twins. And uh, I have a friend actually who's going to be on the podcast pretty soon who has triplet boys. So I can't wait for that conversation. I would just kneel in her presence. If <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's and hers all, hers all just launched too. So can you imagine sending no. three at once to college? No. Well, um, as I wrote my book, Boy Mom, I was certainly deep into reading so many of your books. You talk about kids, you talk about boys. And I have just loved your perspective. I just feel like I resonate with pretty much everything I read from you. And and I know that you and Sissy together, actually, it's kind of a crew of you, have the podcast Raising Boys and Girls. Yes. But somehow I just recently discovered that you also have a podcast, not too many episodes, but a few episodes. And that podcast is called All About Boys, right? It is. I was invited by Rooted Ministries to do a season all about boys, and it has been just a a real privilege to be able to devote a whole season to just talking about all the different aspects of a boy's life and his different relationships. We've talked about boys and moms, boys and dads, boys and emotions. I have Mm an episode coming out on boys and friendships soon. But yeah, I've been really Mm -hmm. grateful to have that space to talk about boys as well. Yeah, I will just tell everyone, I think if you listen to my podcast, if you enjoy talking about raising boys, this is one that is a must listen. So I think you could pretty well do it. I've done this last week and just go binge listen to all those episodes. 
I am just really a big fan. And also we're going to be linking to those as well as to your books in the show notes. So everyone can definitely go to show notes and find links to all of that. But today we are going to do a the first of a two-part series because I'm just too eager to talk about all these things. And I want to tackle the topic of boys and emotional milestones. This is something I found so fascinating to listen to you talk about. So would you open this up and just begin to lead us through. And in fact, before we hit the emotional milestones, you talk about stages of a boy's life, right? Can you break yes. those down for us just so we have that framework? I'd be happy to. And and I'm always quick to say when I talk about the stages of development that these aren't the only stages or even the right stages. They're just stages that for me make the most sense when mm-hmm. I think about boy development in ways that I hope are helpful for parents and thinking about these pockets of development that boys are in. So sure. these are the five ways I break down boy development. And I start with the what I call the explorer. And that's basically boys birth through four. And then I move to what I call the lover stage, which is boys mm-hmm. five to eight. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm on record as saying, Monica, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this or not, but if I could freeze a boy in his development, mm-hmm. I would freeze yeah. him in the lover's mm-hmm. like, Yes, the boys are full of some of their best stuff in that mm-hmm. moment of development. Uh, mm-hmm. Plenty of amazing things happening in different moments, but there is a lot that's happening in that moment mm-hmm. that is just yeah. remarkable. So yes. that's the lover stage. And then boys move into the individual stage. That's nine to 12. And that's that window of pre-adolescence. That's a really pivotal point and his development, and particularly in terms of his identity formation. Mm-hmm. And then he moves deep into mid and late adolescence in what I call the wanderer stage, and that's mm-hmm. 13 to 17. And that's that's a pocket of development that most every developmental theorist would say is the most complicated moment of a boy's life, which mm-hmm. I think can become, not always, but can become one of the more complicated moments of parenting him, which is, mm-hmm. you know... A, a great reason right there why I believe so strongly in studying development, because the more we understand about what's going on with him uniquely in that moment, the better we can support him, yeah. the better I think we can transition in our relationship with him in that mm-hmm. season. And so that's a really important season as well. And then he moves into what might be my second favorite stage, and that's mm-hmm. called warrior stage. And that's young mm-hmm. 18 and 20. To, and and I love what happens for yeah. boys in that stretch of development. And, yes. and it makes me so excited. I don't get to talk about that stage as often, but I get excited when I do because I think for parents who are struggling in the wanderer stage and that mm-hmm. late adolescence, I, you know, I just keep shouting like, there's good stuff coming. There's great there stuff is. coming. Like, you're living it. Your parents. Yes. Yeah. My 19 and 21 year old, I am just loving so much this season and our relationship in this season. But I will say from friendships I have and observing other families, it, it, it's an important stage. I think boys are making a lot of big decisions in that time. And so that's one that I've encouraged friends to not step away too much and just say, all right, I've done my work, but, but to stay involved. I mean, here I am trying to give. Anyways, I just love it, but I'm like, they still need us. (laughs) Yes, they do. They absolutely do. In fact, I talk about in that stage that, you know, most every developmental theorist would also agree that 
boys don't finish adolescence until mm. somewhere between 22 and 25. And yeah. that's significant to yes. lean into because yes. for girls, it's more 19 to 20. And it, it mm. just speaks to your point of they're not done developing. Mm-mm. They're not done parenting. It just has to look right. different, but there's still right. a strong need for support in that season. Yeah. And that's a, is that a brain thing? Is that why boys are different from girls? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. I love all that. Okay, so now let's dive into some emotional milestones and some of the stumbling blocks and ways we can help our boys through these different milestones. I'd love to. And and I want to just tell you again how grateful I am that you give me a chance to talk about this because in, in all the years I've been doing the work I've been doing, I don't think I have ever felt as concerned about some things as I have in the last five years. And, and it was one of the reasons this book felt really important for us to write because we, we basically in the front side of the book, just define what are these milestones? And Mm -hmm. then we go deep into what does it look like to help kids move toward these? Because more than ever, we're seeing evidence in our practice. And I think the national statistics reflect this, reflect this, that kids just aren't progressing toward Mm. these really important emotional, social, and spiritual milestones. And I think it explains so much of what we're seeing in our world. So I'm, I'm just grateful anytime that I get an opportunity to talk about it. And the four emotional milestones, I'll define those and then we can talk about some of the stumbling blocks and building blocks. The first is the milestone of vocabulary. And that is just developing a true emotional vocabulary. And and here's a great example of the statement I just made a few minutes ago. You know, now more than ever, I'm hearing kids use these big, strong, exaggerated words to describe mm-hmm. their experience because I don't think they have an emotional vocabulary. So mm-hmm. rarely anymore do I hear kids say, you know, I felt sad about that happening. They say, I feel depressed. They don't say, I feel worried. They say, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, if you felt really frustrated and wanted to make sure your parents knew, you know, why I might have even thrown out a declaration like, I'm going to run away from home. Mm, totally. And I even packed a duffel bag one time and made it about <laughs> halfway down the street and got scared and came back. But, you know, Monica, I haven't heard in the last 10 years no. a kid say I'm going to run away from home or a parent report hearing that. And now what they say is I'm going to kill myself. Mm, and oh, they're using these bigger big. words, these bigger declarations, because I don't think they have a true emotional vocabulary where they can anchor themselves accurately to what they're experiencing. That is so interesting to me. Okay. It is. And the second is the milestone of perspective and perspective is learning to categorize all the events of life accurately. So it's figuring out on a one to 10 scale that a one is losing my car keys and a 10 is losing a family member. Mm, but yes. More than ever, we are seeing kids slam up against 10. They're living mm, in a 10 space yes. over insignificant events. Like mm-hmm. it's daily that I will hear a parent in my office say, I told him to hand me the iPad or I told him to turn off the gaming system. And he erupted like oh. it was the most volatile, explosive response. And certainly there's a, a cognitive component to that as well with what we know happens for a lot of boys when they engage gaming and um, yep, yep. watching with technology, but there's an emotional part of that as well. Mm-hmm. So just learning to regulate 
and categorize the events of life accurately is what's that, that, is what, what that milestone is about. It is huge. It's so huge. And then the third milestone is the milestone of empathy. And empathy is a well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships. So spouse to spouse, parent to child, coworker to coworker, friend to friend, like empathy is a game changer. And we're reading so much about it. We have We've researched empathy to death. Like, I don't even know why we keep researching it because we're all in agreement. Like, it's a good and necessary thing. And so I'm just wanting to add to that conversation and confirm it. It indeed is. Mm -hmm. And I would then move to the fourth milestone is the milestone of resourcefulness. And that's learning to take the emotion to something constructive. So it's, it's figuring out what to do with these feelings I have inside and and being reminded that we are all made in the image of God. We're emotional creatures. There is so much evidence throughout scripture of where Jesus and his humanity felt all these things. Like Mm -hmm. think about the encounter that he has with Mary when her brother has died, who's also his dear friend. Mm -hmm. And she comes to him and says, you know, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. And his response, you know, what we're told mm-hmm. in scripture, his response was, was that he wept. Yeah. He wept. Yeah. He expressed empathy in the mm. this dear friend over the loss of someone he loved greatly. Yeah. In fact, the, the passage beyond that says, you know, the Jews' responses to him was, see how he loved him. Yeah. Like they could tell by watching and observing this exchange. And that encounter, I think about the encounter he has with the disciples in the garden when he feels afraid. And he says, mm. stay awake with me. And they go to sleep. That sense of betrayal yeah. he experiences. I think about his encounter with the tax collectors in the temple when he learns they're using the space in a way mm-hmm. that it was never intended to be used. And we're told he felt anger. Like all these mm-hmm. accounts that remind us, he felt all these feelings. Yes. We are going to feel all these feelings. And our message consistently throughout the emotional milestones is feelings are not good or bad. Some of us grew up being told that, like the Mm -hmm. good feelings are things like happiness and joy. The bad ones are things like sadness and anger, like don't feel those. And I'm always quick to say to parents, throw that out if that was the messaging you got, because it's not true. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. And Mm -hmm. we want to communicate to kids that feelings are just feelings and we're going to have a range of them. And for some kids, for some boys, they have big emotions, like Mm -hmm. they feel deeply. Yes. And that's a fantastic thing. You know, I tend to say to a lot of those boys who are like, what's wrong with me? I just get so mad or I get so sad. I'm like, buddy, there's nothing wrong with you. That's how God hardwired you. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I call that. I call that husband material right there. Mm, like your yeah. wife is going to love that on you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I, I, I even with a lot of young boys will frame it like a superhero power. Like totally. I'll say to them things like you have a spidey sense, don't you? Like, yeah. You can pick up on things that are happening before everyone else in the room can, like Spider-Man could. I, I want love them it. to understand the strength yes. of it because I think, again, particularly as they get to that stage three space, that nine to 10 window that we talked about where everything's mm-hmm. going to start turning, they'll start to feel like it's more of a curse than a blessing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I want parents to be speaking into the strength of that. And again, I love that. you know, if I were to give the Cliff Notes version of all four of those milestones, it's we want to help the kids we love figure out what do I feel and what to do with it. And I think that sounds so simple, but Mm -hmm. the statistics would tell us that's just not happening. I mean, boys Mm -hmm. lead some of the scariest statistics that are out there. Adolescent boys lead the stats around depression, 
around self-harm, around suicide, around substance abuse, around internet pornography. And then it goes forward even worse with adult men who lead the stats around infidelity, internet Mm -hmm. pornography, substance abuse, suicide, all of these really scary categories that if you connect the dots, the common denominator with all of those being he could not deal with what he felt. And so he was trying to numb it out in some way, yep. make it wow. stop, shut it down. And so wow. I know I sound like I'm preaching, forgive me. No, I just feel it's so, so passionately good. about this and I believe so strongly in it. And, and, and I think on my watch, I want to do everything in my power that we could raise up a generation of boys who are emotionally and spiritually so much more healthy than what we're seeing in the world right now. And that amazing people like you are, writing around this and speaking to this and creating an opportunity for us to have conversation around this in ways that I'm just, again, really thankful to be a part of. Oh, well, thank you so much. And and that's super encouraging to me. And it really makes me think with my 10-year-old son, how important it is that I'm tuned into these things now and the emotional vocabulary, especially because as a 10-year-old, he has a teenage brother and two young adult brothers. And I see him always trying to keep up with them and trying to be big and act like them. And I see when I heard you talk about, you know, the fact that boys typically turn all their emotions into one, which is anger. It just kind of broke my heart a little because I thought, oh, I don't want to just let this stage pass and have them grow up into the next stage without first figuring out how to handle these emotions and give him those words and that vocabulary. And I actually do mention that in Boy Mom, how when my boys were little, I would try to give them words, you know, are you feeling? And I'd give a couple to choose from because that helped them name their feelings. So I'm glad I did that instinctively. But now that the son is 10, I just see the really the importance of giving him some vocabulary to work through this stage and through feelings, all the different feelings. Hey friends, hope you're enjoying this conversation. I just want to pause real quick to tell you about a resource that I know many of you will be interested in if you don't have it already. Now with this new school year just ahead of us or some of us, at least here in Hawaii, are already doing school. We want to be praying for our kids. We want to be praying for the school year ahead and everything going on in their lives. And Christian Parenting has a new resource that will help you with that. It is called Key Psalms to Pray Over Your Kids. This is a weekly guide that will help you pray specifically. It's a journal that draws from songs, poems, and expressions of faith found in the 150 chapters of Psalms. And these are just a really helpful guide, a way that you can pray from the beginning of the school year all the way to the end for your kids specifically. I love it. It's such a helpful way to start or end your days as you go into the school year ahead and all that will come with it. So go over to cpgive.org. Again, CP as in Christian Parenting, give.org. Request your copy and I know you're going to love it. And now let's get back to the episode. Maybe you can now dive into some of the stumbling blocks for us for each of these stages. Well, I think that sets the stage for what I would say is probably the biggest. And I think it's the cultural messages that mm-hmm. boys are going to get throughout their lives of, mm-hmm. you know, in so many different ways through the books that are written, the movies and television shows that are created. I think even when boys watch adult men on in professional sports, like, you know, the mm-hmm. messages around all these different contexts is it's okay to be angry. That's yeah. fully masculine. It's not okay to be sad. 
It's not okay mm-hmm. to be afraid. And, mm-hmm. and I think we as males, this is one of the stumbling blocks, we crave confidence. We mm-hmm. really want to look and seem yeah. and appear as if we are competent in all things. And my great challenge to dads consistently is talk about when you feel afraid that I think mm. it's so important to give boys wow. permission to say, men do not have it all figured out. We mm. pretend like we do sometimes and we do not. And wow. there again, back to that encounter, Jesus had with the disciples, he felt afraid. Yeah. He felt afraid and he wanted his friends to be with him in that moment. And so as many times as we can anchor boys to those experiences, I, I think that's incredibly important. And I think even larger than that, my challenge to so many dads is, you know, boys just need to see that emotions reside in the life of a man. Like mm-hmm. we work so hard to not show evidence of any of what we're experiencing, whether it is fear, sadness, any of those things. And Mike, I remember years ago attending a funeral for a, a man in the town where I grew up who uh, was just a, a great man in our community. And his kids were good friends of mine. And I went back home for the funeral and his grandsons were at the front of the church during this ceremony. And right as they were about to carry his casket out, the family was standing kind of on each side. His youngest grandson, who I think was six at the time, started sobbing uncontrolled. Mm. And he laid his head on the casket, like just like he was trying to give his grandfather one last hug and was wailing. I mean, it was was something that every one of us could feel on the inside of this little boy who loved this man so much. And his 14-year-old grandson was standing and watching this happen and shaking, but fighting, crying. Like he he was just fighting tooth and nail, not to let a tear roll down his face. Making me cry. I know. And I remember walking out of the church and people, several people said to me, like, I feel so worried about that little six-year-old boy right now. And I remember thinking, I don't mm-hmm. feel worried about him at all. Like mm-hmm. he's doing what, what every one of us who loves this man should be doing. Like just mm-hmm. weeping and saying, mm-hmm. you were so important to me. I miss you. And I, I'm not even going to try and hold that back. I love it. You know, it's full grief that just allows yeah. us to honor people that we loved. I said, I'm worried about the 14 year old boy who's yeah. fighting so hard against mm-hmm. what's going on inside of him. And so think about that, whatever age, Yep. And, you know, you're, you're listening and thinking about in this, like, that's, that's what we want to be freeing our sons up to do in as many ways as possible. It's just feel whatever it is, whatever it is that they're feeling in this moment, because boys have a tendency to go inward with that and then for mm-hmm. it to come out sideways, which is why I think it presents in anger so oftentimes. Yes. So yes. I would also say, you know, as I speak to that, watch for when you're, and I'm jumping back and forth between building blocks and stumbling blocks as we talk about ideas, but I want to give as many ideas as possible to parents. Love it. Is, you know, watch for when it happens. If you're watching a show together, if you're watching a movie together on a family night, if you're reading a book, watch for evidence of where he could see either thing on a character. Like, Mm. what do you think he's feeling right now that he's trying not to show us? Or what do you, what do you think about what he did with all that status? I look for as much evidence as possible ah, where we can yep. see it on a screen or in front of us because I talk a lot about how boys are primarily visual, spatial, and experiential learners. And so mm-hmm. we're going to spend a lot of his life talking at him and talking to him and not all of that landing on him. And so right. anytime <laughs> we can use what's in front of us, a, a visual tool in particular, I think he can make connections around that and some 
pretty remarkable ways. So those so would be those would be some of uh, the first stumbling blocks that come to mind as I think around what gets in the way of a lot of boys developing in that direction. Definitely. Oh, I, re- I just can relate to all of that just from my experience raising my boys. I love that. So good for parents to be on the lookout for. Yes. Can I tell you another that I think is a barrier? Please. And you just stop me anytime, like enough, David, enough. No, Um, keep going. I think one of the biggest that won't surprise a a single person listening is, is screens, you know, just that we're parenting in the age of technology and Mm -hmm. why I think we have got to be so intentional about limiting our kids exposure. And obviously we have our hands on a, a decent amount of data so far that tells us more about the cognitive effects. And, you know, we now know that over long periods of time, if kids have too much exposure, we could train a brain to be attention deficit. A a kid who didn't struggle in that space could begin to, as a result of just spending too much time staring at a screen. And I am every bit as concerned about the, the cognitive effects, but I am equally concerned about the emotional and social effects too. And In Are My Kids on Track, we included one study that was done out of UCLA where they took a group of sixth graders and gave this entire group uh, a quiz where basically kids weren't doing anything more than looking at faces. They were looking at photographs of people and they had to identify just by looking at their expression, what's that person feeling? So they gave everybody the quiz. They split the group into two groups and they said, "Okay, for this group over here, group A, for the next five days, just five days, no screens. Hmm. For the second group, group B, you keep using screens the normal amount that you would on a given day. Don't change Mm -hmm. anything. Don't do more or less. Just use it the same amount. Brought them all back in, gave the exact same quiz again. Mm -hmm. And which group do you Mm -hmm. think scored higher? Oh, I can only imagine. We all know. But what's important to note is not a little bit higher, significantly higher after only five days. And and I love sharing the findings of that study because I want that to be encouraging for any parent who's sitting here and thinking, oh, we've gone way too long. Like, I love that in only five days, just five days of kids interacting more with human beings, having more conversations, having to read nonverbal cues that they became that much more attuned to the emotions in others. Oh, that is so encouraging. I know, it's deeply encouraging. And so we can begin to make very small changes and see significant results in a short period of time. So I love that. I would lay that out there as it's helpful. Absolutely. No, that is huge. That is so important. And and you see it. You see it in the younger generation when kids can't give you eye contact or they struggle to have conversations because they're so used to texting or messaging all of their conversations. Yes. And oh, that's that's just really important to keep in mind. I love that. Okay, give us maybe one more stumbling block. Can I give you another? Please. All right. <laughs> now, I'm going to preface this one by saying, Moms who are listening, I want you to fasten your seatbelt for a moment. Okay. And I want you to stay with me because what I'm about to say may feel a little bit like a punch to the gut, but I want you to stay with me because there's good news on the other side of this. But one of the stumbling blocks I name is mothers. And I want to I talk about oh. what I mean behind that because <laughs> you're also one of the building blocks. And so it's it's both sides, but without realizing what can happen sometimes with moms out of this 
great love you have for the boys in your life. And I want it to be a great love. I'm an advocate of it. I talk about in stage two in the lover stage, how you are like the center of his universe. You Mm. are like the planet that he is orbiting around at all times. You're like home plate, that base he's running back to. And Mm. as I said to you on the front side of our conversation, I'm so thankful you've written so much around that because there's just so much to say about that Mm. relationship. Because that relationship is so significant, if we don't pay enough attention to the role we play when he is struggling to regulate his emotions, when he's working through hard emotions, you can end up becoming his resourcefulness. And so we talk about how kids don't develop, (laughs) kids don't develop resourcefulness because we're too busy being the resources. And so I always want to challenge mom that when boys are struggling and you've offered support and they are not wanting to work anything through on their own, maybe brainstorm some ideas beforehand and they know what to do, but are choosing not to. What boys instinctively will do with moms is something that I call anchoring. And, you know, it's a little bit like that age old saying. I remember being in elementary school the first time I heard my grandmother say misery loves company. Mm. Age old saying that is true for all of us emotionally, that if I feel yucky on the inside, I'd really like to tie an anchor around your waist and drag you to the bottom with me and you'd feel yucky with me. And it's what's instinctive for all of us as as boys in particular with moms. So if they're struggling, they'd really like to anchor themselves to you and you just problem solve them right out of it, Mm. become their resources. And so we want him to develop resourcefulness. And so I have a whole roadmap and mm. parent, I, I'm so grateful for you encouraging parents to listen because in, in the episodes on perspective and resourcefulness, I talk a lot about this idea mm. how to create an actual space yeah. where boys can go to, to work through the struggle so that they're developing that resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. And I, I challenge moms to even see these exchanges a little bit like emotional tug of war. And so if you think about back when you were in elementary school, if you ever had a field day experience and you played Mm -hmm. tug of war, you know, the objective is we're going back and forth and trying to pull the other team over. If you stay in emotional tug of war with him long term, it teaches him to always be picking up the rope and pulling you into the exchange. But if Mm. you learn to lay the rope down over time, because when, when one team lays down the rope, the game of tug of war is over. over. Yes. Love that. And he is, we're setting the stage for, you know, him to develop more resourcefulness. And again, there's a lot of brainstorming that goes on in non-problematic times to help Mm -hmm. set the stage for this. You know, we're doing a lot of that. Because in those moments when any one of us, not just boys, but any one of us as human beings are emotionally charged, we're in, you know, we talk a lot about how there's blood flow moving throughout the brain, front to back, side to side. And when we're calm, it's evenly distributed, mostly hovering around the frontal lobes, which help us think rationally and manage Mm -hmm. our emotions. But when we're emotionally charged, it moves to the back of the brain, to the amygdala, that fight or flight or freeze part of the brain. And we can't think rationally and manage our emotions well there. And so we do a lot of talking and coaching and lecturing in those moments when boys don't even hear you around the frontal lobes. Exactly. And so the brainstorming happens in the calm moments so that we have good plans in action and we have good coping skills. We've been thinking around Mm -hmm. 
even making a list, kind of back to that visual tool, mm-hmm. we've got a list hanging up in some space where he can remember things that might help him to work through frustrating moments. Mm-hmm. And then again, setting the stage. Oh, that is all so good. It just, it makes me think of a time not too long ago where my, and I hate to pick on my 10 year old, but he's the youngest. So I'm thinking about him developmentally, but he kind of was hitting a bad moment and the whole family was kind of coming down on him. Like, buddy, you're blowing it. And all the brothers kind of chewed, chewed him out and then dad and mom. And he was just kind of having this little fit that wasn't very familiar to me. And when I asked him, what are you feeling? He just kind of grabbed his head. I mean, it's sad for me to remember, but he just said, I don't even know. And mm. when I've heard you talk or even Sissy talk about this, that's what it makes me think of is in that moment, he didn't even know what to think. He just You're knew right. that his brain was shutting down and yes. all the emotions were there. And I love that Sissy too encouraged, you know, we talked about raising anxious kids and just helping him to breathe in that moment. Let's just yes. take some breaths. And then when we're outside of that moment, let's talk about what to do when you're overwhelmed and let's talk about how to walk through this. And I know because I have college boys and when I wrote Boy Mom, I was really focused on the launch and setting your vision for that launch. When you have a son who's resourceful, who you, the difference it makes when you do get to that day where you're launching them into the world, especially for us across the ocean, independent, and they're going to face some things thank God they don't need mom involved in every decision they make. You know, you, that's the goal is you want to know that they can handle some tricky situations on their own. And so the more you can start that when they're nine and 10 and 13 and 15, you'll be glad later. You're so right. You are so right. Mm. Well, and something you said and telling that story reminded me, I wanted to mention, you know, so often what happens for boys of many ages is that, we as males have a lot of physicality to our Mm. emotions. So it's why toddler age boys are more prone to biting and hitting and kicking and screaming in preschool classrooms. And it's why adolescent boys are a little more prone to punching holes in drywall (laughs) sometimes, you know, it's just the sense that we have this energy that we need to get out. And so I have so many parents who'll say like, when he's really upset, like he grunts or growls like an animal. And I'm like, I feel sure he does sometimes. And, and that out, I talked earlier about how boys go inward. We want to be always about the training of helping him go outward, like releasing that intensity and that energy and those emotions outward. And so Mm. I'm all for when boys are coming up with their list that they post to have at least four of the five involving movement of some kind. And, And I love hearing boys talk about over the journey of their growing up, figuring out what are the things that really work for them. Mm. And so, you know, my twin sons both ended up becoming runners. They run country and track and they figured out that running was this great outlet that then when they're feeling a lot of stress and worry and anxiety or Mm -hmm. anger, frustration over the different events of life, you know, Mm -hmm. that running has become this outlet for them, this place to kind of channel some of that intensity. And it's different for every boy, but Mm -hmm. I want every boy to be about the practice of figuring out what those things are for them so that when they hit the very moment you describe, we launch them out to college send them away. They have a great sense of what it looks like. Totally. Yeah. My boys, that's, I think what surfing has been for them when they grew up surfing when they were young, but when they hit their teenage years, 
surfing started playing a different role. And I think that's what it was. I think it was this, just the place they went that allowed them to get that stuff out and experience just a real peace. And I mean, not only is exercise healthy physically, but yeah, emotionally so good. I, I love each of these so much. And I really wish we could just do an entire episode on each of these. I love the perspective so much that you talked mm-hmm. about, just the scale of one to 10. My husband's a doctor. And so he's got the, every time something's wrong with one of us, he's like, scale of one to 10. I'm like, really? Yes. <laughs> but it's so helpful. It is so helpful. And, and I that agree very with you. example you shared, that's like, yeah. if I can't tell my doctor in the ER where my pain is, he can't treat it appropriately. Yes. And so yes. we need to be able to name it accurately. I love that. Yes. But, and, and it's so true with kids that to help them go, this isn't a 10, this is actually yes. a three and we can work through it. So then yes. to get that resourcefulness where you teach them what to do when they're struggling, how to self-soothe, how to rationalize. Oh, this is all so good. So we're going to make sure that people are able to listen to your episodes where you go further into this, as well as read your book, Are My Kids on Track? That's that's the best book for talking about these emotional milestones. Is that right? That is correct. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. Well, we are going to have another episode where we talk about social milestones. And so I think we'll wrap up for now and have you back on. I am so thankful for your time. And I am so inspired by everything you talk about. So I just want to thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. All right. Well, we'll have a fun next chat and hopefully more in the future after that. So until next time, we'll say goodbye. Aloha. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And as always, there are helpful notes and little lists over in show notes, uh, as well as all the places you can follow David Thomas. So go on over to monicaswanson.com forward slash episode dash 171. Now, speaking of links, I also want to make sure you know you are invited to join my weekly email list where I love to take care of my people, I'm sharing only encouragement usually something funny. Um, If I have a good link I want to share with you or big news, that's where I go first. So if you're not in that group yet, please head on over to monicaswanson.com forward slash subscribe. Join my email list. I really do hear from people every week that say they've unsubscribed from almost everything, but they keep getting my email because it's the highlight of their week. And that makes me so happy. So I hope you want to get that email as well. Again, monicaswanson.com forward slash subscribe. Okay, guys, enjoy the end of August. Summer is wrapping up and the best season in the world is coming right ahead of us, fall. And no, I don't have fall in Hawaii, but I still celebrate it as if I did. So if you live where it's fall-like, you can start sending me your pictures of leaves and all that pretty soon and I'll live vicariously through you. So uh, thanks for being here. Have a wonderful rest of your week and until next time, aloha.